This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Our premarital class. And the goal of this series, and, and I, I invite you to tune in further uh, after my end. I have uh, one more session after this, so we have two more that I will be doing. But after that, we will have other teachings, all still surrounding premarital class. And so we are encouraging you, we're admonishing you to stay with us for this in, the entirety of this series. Uh, because you don't want you don't want gaps in your knowledge, and all of it's going to feed in together. And we just want you to get a clear understanding about the expectations that God has for your marriage, for you and a marriage when you decide and choose to enter into a covenant with someone. So please stay tuned uh, again throughout the duration. It's probably going to last until about uh, September or so. So um, just to kind of give you a heads up. Um, so just be sure that that you're tuning in. Um, so, the goal of this series is to prepare those who aren't married. We're trying to prepare those who are not married to be a viable candidate for marriage. You want to be a viable candidate. You want to be operable. And we'll, we'll get um, more into that about what operable means. But you want to be a viable candidate and an operable candidate once you choose one day when it's time when you uh, decide that you're going to enter into a marriage covenant. So it's very important that you are prepared. It's like we said, for anything, just like anything else, you have to be prepared for marriage as well. We're not born understanding, knowing what God uh, commands of us in marriage. We're not born with that knowledge. So we have to be taught. We have to learn those things. We have to apply those things in our lives if we're going to have successful marriages. We need to gain an understanding of the truth. And the truth is God's truth. It's what God says marriage is. It's not about what mom and dad said it was. It's not about what we think it is based on what we see from others, our, our aunts, our uncles, um, whomever, in our neighborhood, our, our next door neighbor. None of those things matter. It's good to have good godly examples, but we need to understand that all things have to be filtered through the Word of God. All, all of what we do have to be filtered through the Word of God. Number one, if you call yourself a believer and a Christian. And number two, if you want to, things done in God's order, in God's way. If you want to be successful in it, we have to establish and do things God's way. So we understand that institution is created by God. So we, we need to get an understanding from Him. Since He created it, then He knows how it should work. So that's why we need to get an understanding from Him. If we better prepare for marriage, and I, and I truly believe this, it, it, believe this, that if we better prepare, if we take more time at the beginning in preparation for marriage, then there will be less, there will be less counseling that's needed. There will be, well, because this is counseling, part, uh, this is counseling, uh, God's preparing you, that is him counseling you in one way or another. But we would, we would spend less time in, in a counselor's office or our pastor's office after we get married if we were to prepare beforehand. We would have less divorce if we were to prepare beforehand. We would have, uh, uh, I'm not going to say that less 
we would know how to handle our stresses and handle the things that come up in marriage, the challenges that come up in marriage. We would know how to better handle them if we were properly prepared, properly prepared beforehand. So, because once you get into those things, once you get into marriage with all, everything that comes along with it, and, and people, you know, people, I don't know, people, I guess it's because people, some people make it look easy. When you look at a marriage, it looks easy. So they think that, you know, it's just, it's easy, but it's not. They don't understand that the, the hard work that goes behind it. They don't understand the sacrifice that goes behind it. They don't understand the compromise that goes behind it. They don't understand the work of God that's behind it. And it, it is your work. Marriage is your work. That's your stewardship. But God has a part to play in it. And we're going to see that today. And, and a part of God having a part to play in it is you allowing him to work in you first. That is the part that he plays. He works in you. You work the marriage and he works in you. You work the marriage, but he works in you. And that's why I said you have to be operable. You have to be a viable candidate. In order to be an operable and a viable candidate, you first have to be in proper position, in proper alignment. You first have to give yourself over to God and his ways. You first have to understand what marriage is, whose it is, that, that an institution who created it. And you have to understand how, why he created it and how he, he decides how it how it functions. So that's, that's all a part of you allowing him. That's all a part of you allowing him. But the work of the marriage is yours. But the work is easier. It's easier when you allow God to work in you. You see, it becomes hard when you have two knuckleheads, two, two folks that are, that are just doing their own thing. They're doing their own thing and they're being knuckleheads about it and they're not allowing God's ways and God's word to, to dictate and to help regulate their marriage. That's when it becomes harder. I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's easier when you allow God's ways, when you allow him to work in and through you. Then it becomes easier. So it will also, uh, being properly prepared will also help us to not rush into marriage. A lot of times we rush into it because we love each other, because of this, because of that, because we, we're ready to have sex. That's mainly what it is, because we're ready to have sex. So we just want to rush. We want to rush. We want to go ahead and let's just get this done so we can just do, go on and do what we want to do. But being properly prepared and see, having those thoughts in your mind and not, and not allowing God to work in you and through you the way that he wants to before in preparation for marriage, then that's part of the reasons why we have the, 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 uh, the, the problems and the situations that arise in our marriage. You will make better choices if you're better prepared. You will choose more wisely who you will marry if you're better prepared. You have to be prepared in order to make better choices. You have to be prepared in order to make better choices. And then once you get married, you will stay married. We would, again, we would have less divorce if we would allow the time beforehand, that prepara- if we would take that preparation period seriously. 
then we would we would not have to we would not see as many divorces as we see if we allow ourselves to be properly prepared. And I no one gets married. You should not. If you have the thought of, of, of getting a divorce and you're already planning how you can make your escape and, and how what you can do to, to when it's time to escape, if that's your thought pattern and that's what you're doing before marriage, you're not a viable candidate. You're not a viable candidate because you're already in your mind. You're already deciding, well, if this don't work, then this is what I'm going to do. But that's not the mind, that's the mindset of people. Remember, we've been talking about the reasons why people get married, but that's the attitude of the world. That's the attitude of the world. But this is God's institution, and He has decided. He has decided that this institution, when you, once you enter into it, it is for a lifetime. He has already decided that. So you're not. You're already not a viable candidate. You are already not allowing God's ways. And you're not allowing what he intends for marriage to be. You're already, you're already disregarding that. So no, then you are not a viable candidate for marriage. We need to be ready, properly trained. The first couple of weeks we spent addressing the, uh, the reasons why people get married, why they consider marriage. So we did that the first couple of weeks. And then last week in John chapter 4, we're not going to go there, but in John chapter 4, we talked about the woman of Samaria and how she uh, and, and her encounter, we talked about her and her encounter with Jesus at the well of Sakaar. And, 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 and listen, when, when you come into, when there is a sincere, uh, a sincere connection, a sincere encounter with God, when there is a sincere, a sincere encounter with God, you will never be the same. You will never be the same. There is no way to come in contact with. There is no way for God to meet God face to face. To meet God face to face and you not be changed. And you walk away the same. There is, there, there, there is, you cannot, it just can't be done. It just can't be done. This woman, and again, we talked about this woman, uh, he, again, Jesus had not died, he had not gone to the cross, but he was her salvation. He became, at that time, at that well at Sakar, he became her well of salvation. She saw, literally, she saw her well of salvation. She came face to face with the living God. She had a true encounter with him. And although, again, it does not explicitly say that, say it, if there are not a lot of details about their conversation, I said it didn't need to be because that's between, that was between her and Jesus. It didn't have nothing to do with us, not our business. But I can imagine that he told her everything, not just about these five husbands that she had and the one that she was living with, but he told her all about her. He gave her some information about her that, that, that she just could not deny about how she was allowing herself to be cheapened. How she was making bad decisions because of this and because of that, because of her heart situation, because of her heart condition. Because she had not given herself over to the word, had not given herself over to even the things that she had heard. I believe, I, I just can imagine that he just laid it all down on the line for her. And that's why she went out and said, that's why she went out and said, I have found a man. Surely, surely this man is a prophet because he told me all about me. She had a true encounter with the living God. And when you have an encounter like that with him, you will not, you cannot be the same. The only way that you, that you will not be the same is if your heart, your heart is just hard. That you are just not allowing him to. But if you allow the Lord 
Listen, this woman, she understood. She was going to the well because she was hurt. Because of, of, the, of the, the talking about, uh, about her behind her back and maybe even talking about her to her face because of the way she had been living. She knew she, knew she was living foul. She knew she was living foul and, and she, she did, didn't know how to come out of it. But she had been living like that for so long. She had five, she had been living like that for years. Didn't know how to bring herself out. That's all she knew. She was only operating out of what she already knew. But when she came in contact with Jesus, when she came in contact with Jesus, she could not be the same. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 2. This is where we're going to pick up. We left off here last week examining Colossians chapter 2. And we're going to start reading at verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ, she received Christ that day. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. So, so she didn't have time to be rooted and built up, but she had come in contact with him. She re- that day she received him. That day she received him. So then she aligned herself to be positioned. She aligned herself then to be rooted. She set herself in a position, in a mode, in a position to be rooted and built up. So verse 7, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. Verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and after and not after, after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. I believe that he, had, he changed her perception. He changed her thought pattern. He changed her perception about who she was. And, and ultimately, ultimately it was about who she was. But then that began to start working on, so if, if this is who I am in Christ, if this is who I am, if I trust in him and believe in him and walk in his word, walk in what I've been taught, if I do that, then all of these decisions that I've been making in marriage and other decisions, but we're talking about marriage, all of these decisions that I've been making, I, I, I see, I see now where I went wrong. So ultimately then, but again, first God had to work on her first. He had to work on her first. And then with with him working on her first and her changing her mentality, her changing her thought pattern, even about herself, then that led to her, I believe, uh, making better decisions. And I don't believe she went back and and to do those same things that uh, that she had been doing. So let's, let's, let's talk about, uh, before we get further into this, let's just, we just want to remind you of our working definition, our working definition of marriage. Marriage is an institution created by God whereby two rational, free moral agents, a man and a woman, who are born again, choose to enter into covenant with another imperfect person for a lifetime. So we have been spending our, the last three weeks, we have been spending our, our, and, and focusing on um, the first part of this definition. That marriage is an institution created by God whereby two rational, remember we talked about rational, free moral, we talked about that. A man and a woman who are born again. So that's, that's, that's the scope of what we have been talking about. 
That's the scope. God needs you to be rational. He needs you to be free. And he needs you to be born again. And we've talked about that. And being born again, it means, again, not just salvation, but what happens after salvation. That's the sanctification process. After your salvation, after your initial acceptance of him, then that's allowing his word to cleanse you. That's allowing his word to wash you. That's allowing his word to change your thought pattern, to change you. That's, a, that's, that's you allowing God to, to renew your mind and allowing the word to renew your mind so that you then can conform to the image of what he wants you to be. Conforming to his image, conforming to his character. And so this is the first part. That's the first part. That's the first part. That God needs you to be free. He needs, he needs you to be free. He needs you to be rational. And I'm not talking about the rationale of this world. We talked about, we've already been through this. So we're not going to go through all of that. But we're talking about being rational in thought in what God is commanding and what God wants from you and how God sees you. That's rational thinking. That's the rational thinking. And then he wants you to be free from debilitating thought. He wants you to be free from debilitating thought. He needs you to be free. He needs you to be rational. He needs all of that. And he needs you to be born again, walking in him, so that you can be complete in him. So that is our working definition of marriage. And so here in Colossians chapter 2, we talked about verse 6, about receiving him. And we said that receiving him, that it's not just a one-time thing, that you have to receive him daily. That's a choice. You have to choose to receive him. That means we're choosing to receive all that he has for us in his word. We're choosing to walk by his spirit. That's choosing him daily. Because the scripture tells us that the spirit expressly speaks of him and his way. So to receive him, that's allowing the spirit of God to lead you and direct you. So we have to receive Christ daily. That, that means being stable. God wants us to be born again. That means we have to be stable in him. That means no second guess about who you are. When you're stable in God, you don't second guess who you are. You don't sell yourself cheap. You don't sell yourself short when you understand who you are in Christ. When you understand the love that God has for you and all that he has done for you and all that he has laid out for you. He has laid out the best for you. He's laid out Jesus Christ, the best for you. So when you understand that, then you don't, listen, when it comes to bums and, and skeezers and all of those things, you won't, you won't give in to that. Because why? when you understand that God has already laid out the best, he's laid out the best. So the rest, I can leave that alone. I don't, I don't, I don't need, and we're not talking about perfect people because you're not going to find anybody perfect. You're not perfect, you're not going to find anybody perfect. But what we're talking about is two people who understand. Who they are in Christ. Two people who are pliable. Their hearts are pliable toward God. They've given themselves over. They are, they are, they are, are accepting Christ. They are receiving Christ daily. That's, that's being stable in your position. You want to see someone. You need to, to be with someone. You want to, you want to be that person and you want to be with someone who has decided to be stable and, and stable in their position in Christ. That means that nothing else matters. That means if we broke up today, you would be okay. That's what that means. Stable. I'm stable in, I'm stable in Christ. Yes, I love you, but if you walked away today or tomorrow, I'm still going to be okay. That means I don't necessarily need you. I want to be with you, but I don't need you like that. I don't need you like that. Why? Because I have Christ. I, I'm content. I'm content with having Christ. 
You want somebody who is able, who is able, to, and who understands that God is my satisfaction. You want that. You need to be stable and, 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 and secure in that. That God is my satisfaction. No matter if I get married or not. If I get married or not, I God is sat God satisfies me. That you got to be stable in that. You got to be secure in that. And that, again, that's why these reasons, the, the reasons that we're talking about, these man-made re- man-made reasons, come up because we're not secure in Christ. Because we're not secure. We haven't we haven't gotten to that point where we are really secure and we are stable in our relationship and stable in our fellowship. With Christ, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. We have to get. You have to get to that point. You got to get to that point. And then we have said that uh, receiving Him daily. Then we have to what? Walk in Him daily. Just like you have to work it out, you also have to walk it out. You got to walk it out as well, because because in the Scripture it tells us. That, that, that Jesus, and, and, and we won't go there, but John chapter 12, Jesus was saying to them that he is the light and that he wanted them, he needed them to walk as he was walking with them. He needed them to walk in the light. That means to make good use of every opportunity they had with him as he was walking with him. And then I told you, then after that, in Psalms 119, again, you can write it down, Psalms 119, verse, one, uh, verse 105, the, the word was telling us that thy word is a lamp. It's a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto our path. That means you got to walk it out. That means the path has already been laid. It's already been set. But you got to walk it out. The light is already there, but you have to walk it out. And then let's look at this. Regular, uh, walk it out. Let, let's look at this. Walking in Him. So when we are walking in Him, that's walking it out. When we are walking in Him, your walk is your day-to-day progress. It's your day-to-day progress. Progress. It's how you regulate your walk. Is how you regulate your life in Him, based on and, and it, it bases you. It it helps you to control. It helps you to govern the way that you manage and live your life. On a day-to-day basis. That's regulating your life in your walk with Christ. You are allowing his word. You are allowing him. You are allowing the spirit to control and to govern the way you manage and live your life from day to day. That's regulating your life. We've got to regulate our lives. It's allowing, uh, receiving him through his word, through his delegated authority, all revealed under the spirit of God. And allowing that to help regulate, help you to manage your day-to-day life. That is walking in Christ. That's walking by faith. Walking by faith and not by sight. That's being led by the spirit and not by your flesh. That's what regulating your life is. That's what regulating your life is. And so we have to, we all, we, we all, each and every one of us, God wants us to be complete in Him. We have to be complete and whole in Him before you can connect yourself to anybody else. Listen, I, and I know we've all, some people have said it, we've all heard it. This is my better half. There's no such thing as a better half. God has already said that I, you are complete in Him. You are complete in Him. He needs two complete people. In order to have an operable, in order to have a successful marriage, you can't, that, that other person can't be your other half. Not like that. We know that two become one, but two become one, that, 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 that does not denote half. It says they become one. It's one. We're not happening anything. We are one. When you become man, when you attach yourself to someone, you become one. Look at this in verse 8. 
Beware lest any man spoil you. Remember last week I said you're going to be spoiled by something. But we, let's see what you're going to be spoiled by. It says beware. That means take heed. Beware lest any man should any, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. Spoil. Let's, let's look at this word spoil. It really means to be. It means to be. And, and it also means that you are carried, to carry you off. You're spoiled. You're to carry you off as a captive. So think about this in war. In war you have spoils. People or someone will carry something away. It's a spoil. So you don't want to be carried away. The scriptures say you don't want to be carried away through philosophy and through the, the, the philosophy. That's just the, the thoughts of men. You don't want to be carried away by the by the thoughts of men and their vain deceits. You don't want to be carried away by deception. You don't want to be carried away by intellectualism. You know, we can always intellectualize something. Oh, oh, oh. We know we, we we're gonna get married anyway, so it's okay for us to have intellectualize. It's okay to have for us to have sex now because you know we get married in six months. We, we're doing this. We're doing intellectual don't, don't allow anybody to intellectual try to intellectualize anything with you not when it comes to God not when it comes to God it, it, he's saying don't be carried away by idle talk that's idle talk don't be carried away by plain, plain just plain nonsense that's just plain nonsense don't be carried away by those by any of those things don't be carried away by uh, and, and we, I, I mentioned sex before marriage but there are a whole, a whole lot of other things living together before marriage and, and, and all of it don't listen when you are taught something and again stay tuned because you're going to hear some powerful things about dating and what you should and should not do about dating about illicit sex you're going to hear about all of these things these things as you are being taught don't be turned away and don't be deceived by what men because those are the traditions of men they don't care they, they do live together before marriage they do have sex uh, together before before they get those are the ways of the world but when you what you have learned and being taught in the word that is what you stick to that will make you pliable pliable heart that makes you a viable candidate for marriage and if you have someone who is willing to go outside and want to do things outside and trying to push you and trying to intellectualize some things for you that's not the one for you why because what did I say I said both of you have to decide you both have to decide that this the word is what you're going to stick to you both have to decide that. It's not good and it's not okay for you to decide and him not to. Or for him to decide and, and, and the woman not to. That, that's no good. The two of you. And guess what? Because you're going to have problems. If, if you see already, if you already see, if you already, listen, love is not going to change the way a person thinks before you get married or after you get married. It's not going, your love, if the love of God can't change you, definitely your love won't change them. Definitely it won't. So let's, let's get all of that foolishness, all of that nonsense out of your head. If they love you, if they love you like, they, like Christ loved the church... You see, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the way God loves. If, if, if they love you like Christ loved the church, then they would not push you. They would not try to intellectualize God's word. They would, they would, they would, not, try, they would not try to deceive you. They would not try to make you think opposite. Not if they love you. 
the way Christ loved you. And we're going to talk about the way Christ loved you in just a few moments. So, so we talked about all of those things. Being rooted, being built up, being established in the faith. And that will make you stable and secure in Christ. Freeing you from the debilitating thoughts that will help prepare you to be operable and to be a good prospect for marriage. So now we're going to turn our attention to God's purpose for marriage. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time and even next week, the rest of our time that we have. God's purpose for the marriage uh, the marriage covenant. So, so now we're turning, we're making a turn here. And these thoughts, think, uh, remember this, that these thoughts, what we're going to be teaching, this information, it is going to help you change your thoughts. So once you've cleansed, so once you've allowed God to cleanse you, you've properly positioned yourself, now you have to turn your thoughts to what God is saying. Remember, getting away from those things that you might have thought about and the reasons why you might have been considering marriage, you're getting rid of all of those things because now you're receiving Christ and you're walking Him. You're allowing His Word to change you and wash you. But now we have to, we have to focus, right? We've got to refocus our things. So once we get rid of one thought... You've got to replace it with something else because otherwise you're still going to go back and you're going to always revert back to what you already know. So we've got to be sure that we're then replacing those thoughts with what God is intending. Truth is what's needed to keep you from becoming, from becoming a statistic of divorce. That's what truth, you, you need truth to keep you from becoming a statistic of divorce. Truth is the word of God and the word of God is personified through Christ Jesus. And as those who profess to be Christians, followers of Christ, we are re- expected to reflect Him. We are expected to reflect Him, the Word of God and truth. We are expected to reflect truth. We are expected to reflect God. We are ex- expected to reflect Christ as believers. So believers should and is expected to be a reflection of truth. We are expected to be a reflection of truth. And again, this is why we're teaching these things, because we have to allow ourselves to be properly prepared. And if we allow the word of God, if we allow the truth of the word, and we're becoming a reflection of him, that's what, what is meant in the scripture about, uh, about to reflect the reason for marriage. Part of the reason for marriage, number one, is to reflect the love that Christ has for the church. Your marriage should reflect the love that Christ has for the church. Remember that the goal is always focused service to God. It's always. So as we address the first part of our teaching, the first three weeks, these latter, part, latter two weeks, we're going to address the second part of that definition of marriage. And that is choosing to enter into covenant with another imperfect person for a lifetime. Choosing, the second part of that definition is choosing to enter into a covenant, enter into a covenant, an agreement with another imperfect person for a lifetime. Remember, so keep that in mind. Remember again. The goal is always focus service to God, no matter what state you're in, no matter what position in, you're in, no matter what the time you're in or, or your, um, your dispensation, whatever dispensation you're living in. The focus is always, always service to God. 
Your focus beforehand and after, but your focus beforehand in your, in your service to God is to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Where you allow his word to renew you, where you're conforming to his word, where you're conforming to his character. That is part of your service. That's the initial part of your service to God before marriage. You still need to do that after, but before marriage, that's when you need to be concentrating on that. That's when you need to have that concentration on that. Therefore, our relationships with one another. So when we have that focus and we, we, we have done that and we're doing that, then our relationship with God, remember, to reflect Christ's love for the church. That's the reason for marriage. So therefore, as our relationship with God is, is on point, then our other relationships, the other relationships with one another, those will be on point as well. Remember what I said last week, that your relationship with God, it should benefit everybody, any and everybody that's around you. Your relationship with God should benefit everyone that's around you. And I don't care what, what, I don't care what kind of relationship it is. It, is. it can be a, 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 a parent and child relationship. It can be a husband and wife relationship. It can be a sister and brother relationship. No matter what kind of relationship it is, your, your relationship with God, your fellowship, your position with God, it should benefit. It should be a benefit for all those who are around you. In marriage, you must have love for one another. So remember, what all of those things that we talked about, those reasons why people get married, none of, in, the, in any of those did I mention love. In none of those did I mention love. Sometimes, sometimes, love is involved, but the wrong kind of love. And we're going to talk about that. And then, sometimes love isn't necessarily involved at all. Not when you, not, not when you have the thought that, oh, I just need to get married. Oh, I just, you know, it's been so long and I'm, I'm getting old and, and my parents are expecting me to. And if I don't, people are going to think this about me. So, I, we hear, we hear, we didn't hear love in any of that. But the, what God, God's concern, God's reasoning for marriage, number one, is to reflect Christ's love for the church. And number two is only two reasons. One, to reflect Christ's love for the church. And number two, to raise a godly seed. That is his focus and that is his purpose. That's his focus and that is his purpose. In a marriage, you must love one another. You must love one another. And the love must be deeper and more meaningful than eros. There are three types of love. Three. There's eros. And that eros love, that's a physical, plain and simple, a physical love. Just physical. That's all that it is. A physical love means I'm looking for you to do what you can do for me. That's eros. A physical love. Has nothing to do with anything else. It's just physical. And physical love is okay in the confines of marriage. That eros, that physical love, it's okay in the confines of marriage. But then there's another type of marriage, and that's philia. Philia is the most common. That means it's a mutual love. You know, we love it because we like each other, so we love each other. It's common. It's a fondness of, of one another, a fondness of somebody. And usually, again, like I said, it's a mutual kind of thing. So one, eros, is simply selfish. That's selfish, a selfish love. What can, you, what can I get from you? This is because we're talking about physical, physical love. What can you physically do for me? That's eros. 
I'm attracted to you. What can you physically do for me? Then you have this philia, which is a mutual love. But then we have the ultimate. We have the ultimate, which is agape. And agape is unconditional. That means it's not, it's not based on you. It's not based on anything that you can do for me. It's not even based on a mutuality. It's just because I choose to love you. It's just because I choose to love you. So it's much deeper. You need a much more deeper, a deeper and a more meaningful uh, uh, love than just a physical love, than just a mutual love. Anybody can love someone because of what they do for them. Or as long as you're kind to me, as long as you're good to me, then I love you. Again, that's philia. So, so we're talking about things that are just much, that are much more, a love that is much more deeper than that. It's, 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 it's much deeper. God... God's love for us, and, and, and again, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about our marriages reflecting the love that Christ has for the church. It's not eros, and it's not philia, but it's agape. It's agape. It's unconditional love. Let's look at this in 1 Corinthians. Uh, but let's go to Galatians chapter 5 first. We're going to read those two passages of Scripture. Galatians 5 and then 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But in Galatians 5, let's read verse 22, starting at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love encompasses joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And the Spirit is about love. The Spirit is about love. So here we see verse, 20, uh, verse uh, 24. And they that are, that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. So it's basically what this is saying is this God kind of love that encompasses all of these things. Eros has nothing to do with it. Philia has nothing to do with it. But again, because again, that's talking about affections, lust of the flesh, and, and all of those things. It has nothing to do with that. Not the God kind of love. And in the First Corinthians chapter chapter thirteen, let's turn there. First Corinthians chapter thirteen, and let's see what. Continue to see what this love is all about. First Corinthians. Chapter 13, let's look at verse um, 4. Charity. And this word charity is translated as love here in the New Testament. Charity, we're going to say love. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And the, the, the first part of, of eight, charity, love never fails. Love never fails. So this type of love, this is the type of love that Christ has for the church. This agape love. It's based on the nature of God himself. It's based on the nature of God itself. It's not, it's more, it's more than a wave of emotion. It's more than a wave of emotion. It's more than uh, the acts of another person. It's more than the acts of another person. As a matter of fact, 
It is in spite of another's actions. It is an act of another person's best interest. It's you acting. It's you acting. Your love, agape love, just like Christ did for us. He acted in our best interest. Always, always acting in the other person's best interest. That is the kind of love that God is desiring and we need in our marriages. It is a decision of the will. It's a decision of the will to act. The decision of the will to act in another person's best interest. It's always a will. This love is a deliberate choice. It's a deliberate. You have to deliberately love somebody the way God is intending. The way Christ is intending, it has loved us. He deliberately, he loves us on purpose. He loves us on purpose. So that's what he, you have to have a deliberate love. It's a choice. It's a deliberate choice. It's a carefully weighing and, 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 and an intentional act of choosing. Loving has to be considered. It has to be on purpose and it has to be intentional. Love has to be chosen every day. Love has to be chosen every day. You have to choose to love deliberately Every day. You have to choose to love purposefully and on purpose every day. You have to intentionally choose to love every day. We're talking about, we're talking about God. We're talking about God's institution of marriage. This love is in spite of, of another's actions and how you feel that day. You may go to work, go to work and, and something's gone wrong and, and your boss has gotten on your nerves. Your love cannot be based on how you feel that day. It can't be based on how you feel that day. It can't be based on what has happened or didn't happen that day. It can't be based on that. That's not a God kind of love. We're talking about the love in our marriages. Love. This is, this is the type of love that you need to have going into marriage. And this kind of love, it grows. But again, this, you, ha- you have to already be established in this kind of love. You already have to have your mindset. Going into a marriage saying, I'm going to intentionally love you. I am choosing to intentionally love you. You have to already have, you have to be, you have to have that made up in your mind. That's why your choices are important. Who you're going to choose? See, I'm going to choose to love you in this manner. Now you're supposed to you're supposed to agape everybody. You're supposed to agape everybody. But certainly the people that are living in your house, the certainly the man or the woman that you're choosing to connect and to tie yourself to. Certainly, certainly those people. Again, we should love unconditionally everybody. But certainly those that you decide that you're going to connect yourself to and become one with. This love, in spite of others' actions and the way you feel, this love edifies. This love edifies and it builds up. God's kind of love. It edifies and it builds up. It, it suffers long. It suffers long. That means you can, you know, we, and, we, and in a marriage you, you always, and people, people in general, even your best friend, even your best friend, there's something quirky, there's something, there's something that you don't like that they do. Something. There's always going to be something. Why? Because we're different people. We have different personalities. We like different things. So there's always going to be something. But we are long You know, you got to, you're accepting those things about them. You're choosing. 
You, that's a choice. You're choosing to accept those things about. So don't try to, don't say you're going to accept it now and then when you get married, now you're going to try to change it. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Love suffers long. Love edifies. Love build. Love builds up. Love is kind. Love is unconditional. Turn to Romans chapter eight, and we're going to end with this scripture. Romans chapter eight. I love this. Again, we're talking about how our marriages should reflect the love that Christ has for the church. Romans 8, this is going to lay this out so perfectly and so clearly for us. And I I love this. Romans chapter 8, let's look at verse 35. Romans 8 and 35. And the scripture reads, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for, the, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. Let's jump down to verse um, 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the kind of love that we need to have for for one another. This is the kind of love that you have to have going into marriage. The marriage vows say, for better or for worse. That sounds like this scripture here to me. No tribulation. No test, none, none of those things, no persecution, no famine. That's in sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. For richer or for poor. For sickness and in health. For richer or for poor. Forsaking all others. Look, in verse, um, in verse, where is it? In verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. Nor any other creature. That says forsaking all others. That's in the marriage vows. Forsaking all others. Nothing shall, till death do us part. Nothing shall separate us. Nothing shall separate us. This is the love of God. This is the love of God. Go go up to to verse um, uh, 31. What shall we say? What what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own, but delivered him from for, for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? elect? It is him that justifies. And then it goes on, and we already read in verse 35 and verse 38 and verse 39. But this is the love of God, the, 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 the love that God has for us. This is the love that we should reflect for one another, and particularly in our marriages. Amen. I am out of time. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.